You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is The Struggle is Real, Episode 5 with Loami Richardson. Welcome to Amazing Discoveries. My name is Loami Richardson, Evangelist for Soul Outreach. And what, we are, or what you have tuned into is our seven steps to completion. And this is a series, a part of the uh, bigger compilation entitled The Struggle is Real. What we have been unco- uh, uh, unpacking and covering so far is the steps that are needed for you and I to be, be complete in Christ. And we talked about other stories such as Nicodemus, the rich young ruler, as well as the, the, the 10 virgins found in Matthew 25 and the message of the Laodicean church in Revelation ch- chapter 3. And and in those uh, presentations, we discussed the importance of giving our hearts to Christ, the working of the Holy Spirit, and truly understanding our condition. In our first step, in our seven steps of completion, we talked about Christ constantly drawing us with his love. And so today we're going to be discussing step number two. But for a a quick review, we're going to see that God's part is that he constantly draws us with his love. Then our part is that we do not resist his drawing. Many times we have heard often that it is harder for us to be saved than to be lost. But after we found out uh, what Christ is doing, it is actually easier for us to be saved than to be lost. But before we begin with step number two, let us start with a word of prayer. Father, we just want to thank you again for allowing us to come into your presence, allowing us to understand your word. And Father, we pray that your spirit may lead us into all truth. I pray that Loami Richardson may not be heard or seen, but that your son may be uplifted and that all men, women, and children may be drawn unto him. We love you. We thank you for we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so as we enter into step number two, once we do not resist Christ's drawing, once we do not resist his love that he's constantly wooing us to, we see that he then convicts us of sin, of his righteousness, and a judgment that is to come. And the reason why he does that is as we behold the cross, we see something about the cross that ultimately convicts us of the life that we once lived. And so we're going to be discussing in step number two, he will reprove a sin of righteousness and a judgment. This comes from the passage found in John chapter 16, verse eight, where it says, and when he is come talking about Christ or the spirit, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of a judgment. So we see that when Christ came, his life of holiness ultimately led a reproved men of sin. They saw their lives compared to the life of Christ. They realized his righteousness compared to their own righteousness. And they realized that if they do not turn away from their sin, that they were going to be ultimately judged based on their own life. I want you to notice what Selected Messages Volume 1 states. It says, it is through the influence of the Holy Spirit that we are convicted of sin. You see, those moments where we feel bad, those moments where we feel like, man, I know I shouldn't have done this, those moments of conviction, it is the influence of the Holy Spirit that is working in our hearts to feel that conviction. And notice what it says. And it ultimately makes us feel our need of pardon. So just the simple fact that you feel and have an urge to ask God to forgive you of your sin is because of the Holy Spirit that is convicting you to do so. And so we're seeing it goes back to the passage that we read in Philippians that is God who works in us to will and to do. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And as he convicts us, it gives us this desire to want to and our and our need to feel like, man, I I feel like I need to ask God for forgiveness. 
None but the contrites are forgiven. Those who will have a broken heart are forgiven. But it is the grace of God that makes the heart penitent. He is acquainted with all of our weaknesses and infirmities. And I love how that quotation ends. And he will help us. You see, Christ did not come into this world to, con uh, to condemn the world, according to John chapter 3, verse 17, but he came to save us, not in our sins, but from our sins. So what Christ does is that he sends his spirit to then convict us of sin, and then as he convicts us of the sin, as we behold the cross, the, it, it, the spirit then gives us a, a need or feeling that we need to ask God to forgive us for that sin that we have committed. But not only does he does that, uh, not only does the spirit convict us and give us a desire to feel our need of asking God for repentance, but it ultimately gives us a broken heart, a heart that truly asks God to forgive us for our sins. And you see, Christ is acquainted with our weaknesses because Christ took on our flesh as well. He was tempted just like you and I, but yet the difference between Jesus and us, us is that he was able to overcome. And in those moments of weakness, in those moments where we are fully tempted, it states that Christ will help us. That's good news. I love the gospel. And I want you to notice what it says in Acts 26 verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive what? Forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith in me. So what Christ wants to do is to open up our eyes to see that we've been living in a life of darkness and ultimately that we have been enslaved to the power of Satan. But once we see our true conditions, once we see we have been enslaved to sin, that we've been living in darkness, that we are tied into the power of Satan, then what Christ wants to do is to reveal to us the light, but also the ability to, be, to overcome that sin and not to be empowered by Satan anymore, but be empowered by the Spirit of God. And ultimately what Christ then does is that he gives us forgiveness. We receive forgiveness of our sins and in return an inheritance that allows us to be sanctified through faith in the word of God. But brothers and sisters, we're not hearing this message too often. Too often we hear Christ, uh, uh, we, we hear ministers telling us that we must ask God to forgive us for our sins, but then we stay there. We ever, ever think of conviction of being a gift from God. But I want you to notice what Desire of Ages, page 104 states. God does not send messengers to flatter the sinner. So if your minister is cracking jokes all the time, get, get, telling you lullaby stories and making you feel comfortable in your condition, brothers and sisters, understand that that's not the intention that or, or, uh, that's not God's intention to his messengers. God's messengers are not to flatter the sinner. He delivers no message of peace to lull the unsanctified into fatal security. He understands that sin will cause us to eternal damnation. Christ wants to save us from our sins. So he sends messengers, his mouthpiece, prophets, speakers, elders, evangelists, whoever it may be, to deliver a message that will awaken us from our condition. He does not send messengers to let us feel like we are okay when in reality we are not. Notice what it states. He lays heavy burdens upon the conscience of the wrongdoer and he pierces the soul with arrows of conviction. But you see, so many people do not want to feel bad for what they're doing. But what Christ wants to do through the ministry of angels is to present to us uh, 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 convictions of what we've been doing wrong. Understanding that we desperately need Jesus. 
Notice what happens. The ministering angels presents to him the fearful judgments of God to deepen the sense of need and prompt a cry, what must I do to be saved? We found that passage in Romans chapter 7. We see that Paul was wrestling as he's looking at the law of God. He realizes that the law of God is not aligned with his own life. And, he, and he's wrestling with, this, uh, with, with the inner man. He asks himself, the things that I want to do, I don't seem to do. The things that I desire to do, I'm not doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, what must I do to be saved? We've all been through that experience. But so we're seeing that Christ does not want to leave us in fatal security and making us believe that we're all right when in reality we are not. But what he wants to do is to awaken us from our slumber, to understand our true need of him and to see our true condition. This is why Christ sends the judgments. He shows us, man, if I continue to live this life that I'm living, there's going to be consequences for the choices that I make. So Christ isn't set, uh, revealing to us a judgment that you and I must face to scare us, but just to simply awaken us to understand our need of Jesus, to deepen our sense of our need for him, and ultimately get us to a point where we're asking God, Lord, what must I do to be saved from this condition? So this is what God ultimately does. He convicts us of sin. He sends the Holy Spirit. He convicts us to make us feel our need of him. And then all of a sudden we have this, this desire and this feeling to say, Lord, I just know that what I'm doing is not right. I want to confess this thing to you. Then he convicts us of what we should do and what we should be doing. And we see that through the law of God. But most importantly, we see that the judgment is simply, he reminds us of a judgment that is to come, not to condemn us, but to understand our need of him and, 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 and realizing that we cannot do any good on our own. We must be saved and we can only be saved through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So what is our part? What is our part in step number two? Our part is to simply acknowledge our guilt and claim that we need his righteousness. And so that's what we're going to do. We are going to acknowledge our guilt and claim and, 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 and reach out for the need of his righteousness. I want you to notice what Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12 and 13 states. Return faithless Israel, says the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord, your God. And so we're seeing that as Jesus is speaking to his people, we're seeing that through the prophet Jeremiah, God is communicating his desire for his people to come back home. He says, return faithless Israel. Why would you continue to do what you're doing? I'm not looking at you with anger. I'm simply merciful. I won't be angry forever. The only thing that I'm asking of you is to acknowledge your guilt that you have rebelled against me, the God who loves you, the God who has given you everything that your heart ever desired, just simply acknowledge your sin and I will forgive you. We see that even in the Old Testament, God, he is God, God does not change. He's the same today, uh, yesterday and forever. And we're seeing that God is not angry. He is merciful. And the only desire that he has is for us to acknowledge our guilt. Notice what Testimonies Volume 6 states in page 52. Men professing to be followers of Christ fall to a low level, always mourning over their shortcomings, but never overcoming and bruising Satan under their feet. Oh, how many times do we often walk around like we're defeated Christians? 
You know, uh, uh, my faith uh, 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 is in interesting in our denomination. We, we call those people sad Adventists. They don't ever seem to be happy. They always seem to be sad. They seem like there's a judgment in heaven and God is looking down to condemn them. And then they never speak on the victories that they're having in Christ Jesus. But brothers and sisters, we see that many who claim to love the Lord, many who are following Christ, talk more about their failures than they do about their overcoming. And Satan rejoices in that. And brothers and sisters, understand that what Satan wants us to believe, that he wants the world to believe, is that he has more power to keep you in sin than Christ has the power to deliver you from it. And that's the truth of the nature. How many times do we say, man, Lord, I'm not going to do this sin, and a day later, we commit that same sin again. And instead of running to God and saying, Lord, this is who I am, I confess my guilt to you, I feel compelled to do so, instead of running to God, we run away from him. And we see that example in, uh, there in the Garden of Eden. Once Adam partook of the tree and Eve partook of the fruit that, that God told them not to eat, instead of running to God, they ran away from him. And we see that the first picture of God written in the, in, in the Bible after sin entered into the world is God seeking his children by asking the question, where are you? Brothers and sisters, many who are professing to be followers of Jesus are, 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 are acknowledging more of their shortcomings than the victories in this life. And notice, we have the power through Jesus to be able to overcome and to bruise Satan under his feet. This is why Genesis 3.15 tells us that Christ says that he will give us enmity, that we will be able to bruise the head, uh, crush the head of the serpent. Christ wants to give us victory. Notice, guilt and condemnation constantly burden the soul, and the cry of such might be well be, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? You see, Satan wants to leave you in that condition. Satan wants you to continue to wallow of how bad of a person you are. For as long as you continue to look at yourself, you will never have the time to look at Jesus. And so many who are professing to be followers of Jesus are, 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 talk more about their shortcomings and their failures than they do about the victories that they can have in Jesus. But brothers and sisters, notice why God gives us guilt. Notice what it states. God reveals to us our guilt that we may what? Flee to Christ and through him be set free from the bondage of sin. And here it is. How often, even in my experience, do we sit here and feel guilty? We don't want to pray. We don't want to study the Bible. We feel unworthy to go to church or participate in church service because we feel guilty of the sins that we've committed. Yet Christ puts guilt in our hearts so that way we may flee to him. Oh, how often do we think that guilt is a punishment when in reality guilt is a gift? It changes the mindset of how God approaches his children. God reveals to us our guilt so that way we may flee to Christ. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3. Let's, let's turn our Bible there quickly. Genesis chapter 3. Because I want you to notice how this un is unpacked here as soon as Adam and Eve partook of the fruit. And I want you to notice in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 3, it states, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree that was desirable to make one wise, she took of this fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. You see, anytime we partake in sin, we just can never keep that thing to ourselves, right? We always got to share with others, right? And so we see that in verse 7, then their eyes were both of them were open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig trees leaves together and made themselves coverings. And so instead, as soon as sin entered into the world, they realized, man, I am naked. I am miserable. I am poor. I am, and I'm, I'm, I'm miserable. 
What should I do? And instead of running to God, what did they do? They make aprons. They try to cover their nakedness by the good works that they were trying to accomplish and do. You see, an apron, I don't know about you, but I love going to barbecues. And one of the things that the, that the, uh, barbe- the cook wears is an apron, right? And you know, the, the aprons that says kiss the cook. <laughs> so, so they wear the apron, but brothers and sisters, they usually wear it above clothes. But if the cook decides to wear no clothes and just wear an apron, is that covering all the essentials that need to be uh, uh, covered? The answer is no, right? I probably wouldn't want any burger from any cook that's only wearing an apron, right? So it does cover some of your nakedness, but it doesn't cover it all. And so we see that sin enters into the world, and instead of Adam and Eve running to God, instead they look at what they can do to save themselves from that condition. Notice verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife did what? They hid themselves. Guilt has overtaken them, and instead of running to God, what was their natural inclination to do now? Is to run away from him. But it's interesting because God created man in his image and his desire was for us to have a communion with him, have this intimate relationship with him. This is why when God created Adam and Eve out of the dust of the ground, he breathed into his nostrils a breath of life. Now, I know some people who have some bad breath and they be trying to get all in my personal space and, and, and I don't like no one near my nostrils, right? But what God was trying to tell us is that, listen, I'm showing you how close I want to be with you, how close I desire to be with you. And so we see that Christ comes at the time right after sin. And instead of an Adam and Eve, after they feel guilt of what they have done, instead of running to God, we notice that they run and hid themselves from his wife, uh, from God, in the presence of the Lord God among the tree. Then notice verse 9. Jesus says, the Lord God called Adam and said, where are you? Where are you? Why are you hiding from me? I'm the same God who is not angry towards you. I'm the same God who is merciful. Just simply acknowledge your guilt. Just simply acknowledge that you have done wrong and I'll forgive you. Brothers and sisters, how many times in our experience do we run away from God? Instead of asking God, Lord, forgive me, we try to do our own thing. We try to uh, make our own self-righteousness by, by serving others, which that in of itself is not bad. We try to correct certain habits in our life, thinking that if we can just correct some outward uh, um some outward habit that God will then accept us. But brothers and sisters, we see that God does not care about what your outward works is. He simply wants your hearts. He wants you to come to him in those moments of weakness, in those moments of despair. And we can hear the heart of God asking, where are you? My children, the one that I've created in my image, the one that I breathe into the nostrils, the breath of life, the one I gave purpose, the one that I've given dominion over this beautiful paradise. Where are my children? Verse 10. I heard your voice in the garden and Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And notice the pain of God's voice in verse 11. Who told you that you were naked? Did you do what I told you not to do? Did you eat of the fruit that I told you not to eat? And so we see, brothers and sisters, ever since the beginning of time, men, instead of acknowledging their guilt and confessing it to God, they flee from him instead of fleeing to him. And so if there's any guilt, anything that you may be holding onto in your life right now, understand that is not punishment. That is a gift that God has given you so that way you can flee to him and he can set you free from that guilt. Take that guilt, go to Jesus, and he says he will set you free. 
And so we see that in Testimonies Volume 1, it continues, the guilty know just what sins to confess, that their souls may be clean before God. Jesus is now giving them opportunity to do what? To confess, to repent in deep humility. Christ wants you to come just as you are. He wants you to say, Lord, this is who I am. I feel guilty. I feel ashamed of what I did. And if we come to him, he is giving us the opportunity now to confess it so that way we can repent in deep humiliation for what we have done, in deep humility. But brothers and sisters, many do not humble themselves before God. This is why Steph Christ says the following. Those who have not humbled their souls before God in acknowledging their guilt have not yet fulfilled, notice, the first condition of acceptance. Understand that forgiveness must, has a, uh, that forgiveness has a condition. And the first condition in order for us to be accepted is to humble ourselves before God and simply acknowledge our guilt before him. But many of us are saying God forgives us. He accepts us but yet have never fulfilled the first step in the condition in humbling ourselves and acknowledging our guilt to Christ. And understand that the reason why Christ wants to acknowledge, uh, have us acknowledge our guilt isn't because he doesn't know. He wants us to understand what we've done and where our shortcomings are. You see, I worked as a summer camp counselor and um, usually during the middle of the summer, things can get very heated, all pun intended. And I noticed that there was one situation with one of my campers that this kid kept annoying this other camper and he kept hitting him with the ball. And, and finally he hit him one time during a dodgeball game and, and, and he hit him and he did it on purpose. It was, uh, uh, he did it on purpose and, and the kid started crying. And so as a counselor, you come in and you're trying to resolve the solution, the, the situation and, and you're trying to find a solution. And we normally go through this routine. You've probably done this with your children or if you know people who have done this. And they and they look at, and I looked at the camper and I said, why did you hit him with the ball? Oh, no. And the kid is crying and he's I said, what do you mean you don't know? I just felt like doing it. Well, here's your punishment, right? For that wrong act that you did. Here's your punishment. And the kid is like, oh, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Well, he says, I'm sorry. We know that it doesn't come from a, 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 a heart of true repentance, right? But he, the reason why he's asking for forgiveness is so that way he doesn't receive the punishment that he's about to receive. And so we ask, just for the sake of illustration, Ben, Ben, Jimmy, Jimmy, Ben. Ben, I want you to apologize to Jimmy. I'm sorry. Does Jimmy know what Ben just did to him? The answer is yes. But then why am I telling Ben to, uh, to, to apologize to Jimmy? Is it because Jimmy doesn't know? No, the answer is, is so that way Ben can acknowledge what he did wrong. So then the next question is, what are you apologizing for? I'm sorry for hitting you for the ball. So even in that little, obviously we resolved the situation. He did ultimately did really ask for forgiveness because he saw the, the severity of the, of, the, of the deed that he did. But what Christ wants us to ultimately do is to acknowledge our guilt. Not so that way God can know, oh, I didn't know you committed that. Christ knew that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. But he wants us to understand where we have fallen short. So that way, when we confess, we can say, Lord, empower me to overcome this sin that I'm confessing before you. Does that make sense? So the very first step of acceptance, understand Christ has made provision to save everyone, but not everyone is accepted unless they first meet the condition of acceptance, which is humbling themselves and saying, and it takes a lot of a pride to be subdued and a lot of humble, uh, a, a meek and humble spirit for you to sit there and say, man, I messed up. Usually we try to, you know, try to brush it off and blame everyone else for our mistakes. But the true spirit of confession is to say, Lord, 
you know what? I'm not even going to make any excuses. This is who I am. I humble myself before you. I acknowledge that this sin that you told me to get rid of, I have not committed it to you. And I apologize. Forgive me. And at that moment, we have met the condition of the first step in our condition of acceptance. This is why Review and Herald says, come to Christ just as you are. But when you come, notice what we must do. Contemplate his love until your hard heart is broken. Jesus wants you to come to him just as you are, but contemplate his love. Look and meditate. See how merciful, how good he is, how long-suffering he has been towards you until your heart is completely broken. And at that moment when your heart is broken is when you can see, Lord, I truly understand my need of you. Take this stony heart of mine. Give me a heart of flesh. Jesus says, do not fix yourself. Come just as you are. Contemplate on me until your heart is completely broken. And then notice, it is the virtue that goes forth from Jesus, which strengthens the purpose of the heart to turn away from sin and to cleave to that which is truth. This is why Christ wants us to confess our sins so that way we can see our shortcomings. We can come to Christ just as we are. And Lord, this is who I am. I'm tired of hurting you. I'm tired of displeasing you. Help me to become like you. And Christ says, and at that moment, he sends forth his spirit to strengthen us. So that way, ultimately, the desire of Genesis 3.15 is to give us an enmity and a hatred towards sin. And we can cling on to the truth, which is no other than Jesus Christ. Notice, it is Christ's virtue. It is his goodness. It is his spirit that, 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 that flows into our hearts that makes the repentance notice sincere and genuine. Not like Ben and, and, and Ben and Jimmy, as I'm telling Ben, and I'm forcing Ben to repent for what he's doing simply because he doesn't want to receive the punishment. What Christ wants us to ultimately become is sincere and genuine in our confession to him. It's truly coming to him humble and saying, Lord, I can't even look at you right now. I messed up again. And I'm tired of making mistakes. But you promised you could give me victory. You said I don't have to fix anything. I can come to you just as I am. And so I'm claiming your promise that I believe that you love me. I believe that you accept me. And I understand that the first step of being accepted by you is to acknowledge my guilt. And so here I am, Lord, take me. But then just don't leave me like this. Change me, mold me, make me white as snow. Brothers and sisters, the only way that we can do that is by contemplating the Savior. It's by looking at his face looking at the agony of what he had to go through for you and I. And I can hear the words of an old hymn says, I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find me in thine all in all. Understand that Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain and he promises he can wash you and I as white as snow. Do you believe in that promise? Do you believe that Christ will accept you just the way you are? What well, he says here is a first step of being accepted. Simply contemplate my love until your heart is broken. And when you have that desire to truly confess, I will give you a desire that will be sincere and genuine as you confess your sins before me. And as you confess it, Christ promises that he will forgive you from all of your sins and all of your righteousness. And he promises that he will restore you back to himself. Brothers and sisters, we must contemplate Jesus. We must understand his love for us. 
understand that he has sacrificed so much for us. And our payment for him is to sacrifice our lives to him and for him. So, brothers and sisters, are you willing to take that second step? Are you willing to acknowledge your guilt? Understand that the guilt isn't for you to flee from uh, flee Christ. It's so that way you can flee to him. He loves you more than you'll ever know. Are you willing to confess your sins before him? If so, Christ says, I'm willing to accept you. I'm willing to forgive you. And I'm willing to make you whole. If that's your desire, let's conclude. Let, let, if that's your desire to confess your sins before God so that way he can make you whole, then let's conclude that prayer. Uh, that, let's conclude that decision with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we just want to thank you again for understanding that as we confess and you give us guilt in our hearts, it isn't for us to make us feel bad, but so that way we can run to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for revealing your son to us here in this presentation. And Lord, as we are completing the steps of process, allow us to be reminded that you love us with a love that is infinite and everlasting. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, to continue to work in our hearts. And we claim the promise that the good work that you've begun in us, that you will conclude into the day that you've come. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit AmazingDiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.